to the modern democracy it is so wonderful to have you here with me today i seriously hope that you are looking after yourself even though we are still knee deep in lockdown <laughs> i understand that this has been a really hard time for everyone but i promise you today i have brought you something fun interesting and incredibly exciting this week's episode is great because i was fortunate enough to be joined by a fellow labor member norden who is the amazing owner of two brilliant progressive social media accounts for a panel discussion on literally everything to do with australian politics this was so fun to film and we had a really chill and insightful discussion about the future after COVID-19, the upcoming election, the Christian Porter debacle and Australia's new submarine deal to name a few. I really hope you enjoy the more relaxed and laid back pace of this episode and hopefully as always you can learn something new and get a better idea of what's going on in Australian politics. If you haven't already, make sure to follow at The Modern Democracy so you don't miss out on any new episode updates and follow the excellent Norden underscore Labour for more political content. That being said, let's jump straight into this new panel discussion. Okay, so Norton, it is so wonderful to have you here with me today. I'm absolutely so excited to have you on this podcast. It is going to be super amazing. So obviously, I think we're going to be covering submarines. I think that was something that was really interesting that happened this week. And hopefully we're going to talk about, yeah, the future after COVID and probably um, a bit about Christian Porter. So you can start with whatever you want to start with. I'm completely down for anything. Sure. Well, um, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a great conversation to have. Um, I think we'll start with the thing that's happening right now, probably with regards to Mr. Porter. Um, now, <laughs> now there, there's been um, some uh, news articles floating about saying that um, he received $1 million from an unknown source. Yeah. And uh, there's... Yeah, and there's been a lot of uh, controversy uh, around that. Mm. So, um, mm, and you've got uh, members of the opposition that are saying, that are calling on uh, Mr Porter to resign immediately. Yeah. Um, It's definitely an interesting something because I think it's been a real, the whole Christian Porter debacle, I would say, um, I'm not sure how much my listeners would know about it, but I guess it's been a real integrity test for the Liberal Party at a federal level. Because I think while everyone is kind of wanting an independent review for his um, alleged behaviour, obviously, towards Catherine Thompson at the time, and obviously this, just the absolute misconduct and the violation of all ministerial standards, obviously, um, I think, yeah, it's been a test of integrity. And I feel like the Liberal Party are almost backed into a position because if they lose one more seat at a federal level, then an election has to be immediately called and we'll have a hung right. parliament, basically. So I think it's, yeah, it's definitely been an interesting something. Mm. Yeah, no, it really has, um, you know, uh, uh, it's almost like Christian Porter can't get himself out of, um, you mm. know, allegations in the media spotlight. But, um, yeah, that 
yeah, it really has been a test for the government. Um, you know, he's lost his um, attorney general portfolio. So mm, yeah. I guess that's fair. But now the Prime Minister's saying that he wants an, another inquiry into the allegations, uh, well, not the allegations, the um, the uh, as to where the money came from. Mm. So, um, mm. so that's interesting as well. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think the the money is it's quite sus. I'll put it out there; it's very sus. It's, I think yeah. <laughs> um, the way Scott Morrison has been refusing questions um, at a few press conferences, saying that he won't disclose when he found out about it, I think that mm. obviously gives um, people who are um, kind of paying attention to um, political commentators a kind of idea that there is something going on behind the scenes that is probably inherently corrupt and I'm sure if we had a federal independent commission against corruption then we would have more action but yeah absolutely it is incredibly um sus how one million dollars has just been able to cover his legal fees that have been um trying to fight a defamatory battle that I don't think was going anywhere because I think he realized as soon as he had to take that legal pathway he would have to reveal um, incriminating details about himself, and he's obviously had um, this money covered. He's covering these yeah. legal fees, and yeah, it's in, there's something going on behind the scenes that's absolutely not being disclosed to the public, and therefore it's it's really quite corrupt. Yeah, mm, absolutely. Um, I think um, Malcolm, former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, um, put it really well. I'm just trying to find the tweet now, mm. but um, he said something along the lines of. Um, it, it's just like getting a, a paper bag filled with money, um, you know, just leaving it on your doorstep and, and that's that. So, you know, it, um, yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> and it doesn't really help with, um, doesn't really help with the, uh, confidence in our political system as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Great point. Mm, and that really is a problem, especially during COVID. So, mm, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great point because, yeah, you can definitely imagine, I think, if we're kind of touching slightly on COVID, I guess the trust in the government has just absolutely plummeted. And behaviour mm. like this, it is a huge violation of ministerial standards, you know. Back mm. in the day, yep. I feel like um, there was one instance, I can't particularly remember the name of the person, but a Labour MP resigned over bringing an undeclared Paddington bear from London into this country. You know, yes. People resigned over that. And these <laughs> yeah. days it's like, oh, $1 million in my bank account. Um, I've allegedly done some horrible things to a woman. Oh, I'm still going to stay in Parliament. You know, it's a huge mm. violation of ministerial standards. And, yeah, that totally lowers the trust in the government because we generally believe that from all these demonstrations of behaviour, you know, the Liberal Party doesn't seem to have a moral compass anymore. You know, they will do anything for power if it means compromising a basic human decency that if you've done the wrong thing and if you are... Impro like engaging in improper conduct, then you should lose your job. Mm. But obviously yeah. Christian Porter has faced no consequence and that's a huge problem that affects public trust in the government. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so also the submarines thing, how crazy is that? Yes. I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. It's you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> oh, my God. In one sweep, we have absolutely managed to destroy an alliance with France and piss off our biggest trading partner. I don't know how that happened. Like, just the foreign policy blunder and incompetence, I can't even get over it. Mm. It really reminds me of um, the reporting during the um, 2011 spill against Mr Rudd, how they were saying it happened in breakneck speed. Yeah. That's, that's how I feel 
that's what that's how I feel when it comes to the submarine deal. It all oh, happens so quickly. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, that is so true. <laughs> oh. oh god, that is so true. I know, but it seems to have like I think it's taken a lot of people by surprise because it, it was like, you know, only two weeks ago, I feel like we had Maurice Payne and Peter Dutton with the French senior ministers being like, you know, we're committed to cooperation. And then mm. a week later, we've basically just had a $90 billion deal torn up. And now we're yeah. starting with two major new alliances. We formed two major new alliances. And yeah, yeah it's mm, it was quite shocking, to be honest. It's just another example of ill-prepared foreign policy, if I'm being honest. <laughs> like just... That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Spot on. Spot on on that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, You know, there's... This deal with France has been messy from the start, really, when you mm. had the French company, um, which was, uh, you know, uh, contracted to build these submarines where they have to reverse engineer so that they can make the diesel submarines, not the nuclear ones that, um, mm. you know, now they're building with the US. So, um, yeah, it is quite messy, actually. And um, I do think that it was... Um, wasn't really planned well. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I think this is probably the worst uh, thing you could, like the worst way you could deal with it. Absolutely. With regards to France. Mm. Yeah, especially in I think today's climate when it does come to kind of international relations, I think the way the Morrison government, yeah, they kind of really very quickly backtracked and they were saying that they had been very clear and they had, you know, they were mm. acting in their best interest. But I think basically blindsiding France like that has done no good for anyone. Um, mm. And right. I remember, you know, I saw a quote from Paul Keating on this and he was saying that it is a, one of the problems is it's that a, it's a huge loss of Australian sovereignty because mm. now that we kind of, it's almost a step towards um, us losing our authority to self-govern and the fact that if the US ever went to a war or a conflict with China, we would be mm. at a huge risk because we're more aligned with them now, I guess. So that's that right. does put us at a grave risk. And also nuclear submarines. Are you kidding me? The radiation. If one thing goes mm. wrong, oh my goodness, we are in so much danger. I really And we don't we don't even doing. have we don't even have the facilities or the training for them anyway. Absolutely. So I know. It's just absolutely <laughs> crazy. I was thinking at least you kind of have countries who are a little bit more well versed in this kind of area. But, you know, mm. Australia has never really ventured into nuclear territory, I don't think, where we're starting no. to build weapons with that capability. And, yeah, with no training, absolutely, with the power that they hold, anything is bound to go wrong. And if it does, if they're stationed, mm. you know, near the country, well, lives will be lost, you know. It's just... That's right. Yeah, I know. Poor moves. It, Poor moves. Yeah, it really is. Um, mm. But, um, yeah, I, I, for one... I'm just, uh, well, this is the main um, area which I have been looking at and it's the cost, the amount of money that's gone to oh, nothing. Yeah. You know, what we could have done with that money mm. instead, um, you know, and, and what is it, 90 billion that's, you yeah, know, been wasted? Yeah, I think it's about 90 billion, mm. yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, it just is... Um, it leaves me speechless. It really does. It leaves me speechless. Oh, me too. I know. And when you think about just the kind of problems that we're enduring as a nation right now when it comes to, you know, income and economic inequality and all the things that we have to solve right now and all the mm. problems that we've basically just a multitude of things that we have to solve, 
I just think it's so ridiculous that we're prioritizing foreign policy spending right now um, Mm. to kind of one up to a nation that is already so much bigger than us. Um, Mm. And, you know, inevitably we would never win against them. And using that money instead of um, giving it to, you know, people who are struggling to put food on the table right now, Australia wide, you know, indigenous communities who have suffered horrifying in a horrifying way from COVID and um, COVID mismanagement at the hands of the federal and state government, you know, I just think it's another indicator of Morrison government priority, you know, it's Mm. trying to um, annoy China and trying to bolster ourselves up a bit, um, which in turn hurts Australian industries. And it's, it's just an example of how the Morrison government, you know, really do not care about Australian people as much as they say they do. And it just proves mm. it time and time again. This is a great example of priority and the priorities are just not there, in my opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I saw a mm. post from the Australian Workers' Union, actually, mm. and um, it said that um, these submarines won't be built here in Australia. And that is just a huge loss oh, for yeah. our Industry. industries, especially in South Australia. Mm, yeah, of um, course. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. a huge problem. Yeah, I think Absolutely. if you're going to commission that much money for a project, wouldn't you yeah. kind of want it to make, you know, create some jobs, get, get mm. it manufactured in Australia? No. Oh. That's right. Yeah, that's um, Yeah, it, mm. it is. Yeah, it's a mess, a mess. I don't um, think anyone can find anything positive to say about the Morrison government right now, truly. I've... <laughs> it's just well, I mean, the polling like... says it all. The polling says it's all. Mm, um, yeah. You know, you've got... Uh, they're polling 54 to 46. Mm. Labor in the lead, um, you know. Ooh, yeah. So... <laughs> yeah. So um yeah it is um it is uh very yeah it, it just leaves me speechless as yeah, I said I know, yeah absolutely I know but what a time to be part of the Great Australian Labor Party I know such a great time yeah we'll see what happens we'll see what happens I'm, I'm um, really hoping I'm really hoping we pull through on this one yeah <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, um, if, if you don't mind, we'll quickly touch on election dates, oh, if, yeah, if that's yeah, okay. Of course, why not? Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, I've been seeing reports that um, Scott Morrison told uh, party members that the uh, election will uh, come sooner than they think. And um, mm. does it really, um, you know, help us with the specific dates? But, um, you know... Yeah. Uh, that that's um Morrison um mm. saying that. So I was just thinking that maybe um we could be expecting an election at the end of this year by Dece- like December mm. or around uh, very early next year, so January or February. So yeah. I just wanted to yeah, see what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, that's mm. good to bring it up. Um look I don't really have any opinion on the time I would guess. I'm just really hoping mm. that they, um, the Liberal government, you know, act in the best interest of the people because I have a feeling that they've been trying to kind of put this election off until their polls kind of bounce a little bit, you know, get up to a suitable level to, you know, start campaigning and trying to get people to vote for them. But I truly think, you know, they are not going to rise in the polls at all because just the absolute debacle with the vaccine rollout and national quarantine, I think regardless of your political ideology and what you subscribe to, his failure mm. is a universal failure. Everyone knows it, I feel like, you know. Mm. 
Um, so I think they should be obviously, um, you know, acting in the best interest of the people and selecting a date that they, they find is suitable and they're not, um, you know, trying to act out of self-preservation, obviously, to try and push back a date that suits their agenda. But in saying that, I'm assuming they will. And I mm, think it's been, yeah, <laughs> I think it's been <laughs> exciting because I've started to see, at least in the Labour Party, that's what I can talk about, mm. um, kind of getting ready for the election. You know, I've been getting emails about some right. pre-selections we've got going on, in at least right, in yeah. my area. I think they're starting to get their federal campaign um, up and running. And I will say it is looking pretty strong, you know, stronger than other mm. years, I would say. Stronger than 2019. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, no, I, I absolutely agree. Um, the campaign within Labor has definitely been ramping up very, yeah. very quickly. Yeah. And um, it's funny because I just received an email just this morning, I believe, um, <laughs> saying that Labor's actually, um, you know, starting to put forward uh, advertising and um, mm. all, all of that stuff yeah, early because of yeah. Clive Palmer Um and you know the liberals and uh, their their big their very deep pockets. Mm, so yes, corporation ching ching. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, it could it could definitely serve Labor well, but um, yeah. Again, we'll yeah. see how that goes. It will be very interesting to watch. Yeah, I think they have a better chance than they have had at other years. I feel like you know with Scott yeah. Morrison's failure on the vaccine rollout, I think that's become a very popular thing that a lot of people are agreeing with. I think. Yeah. Um, while I don't really agree with the policy, um, Labor supporting stage three tax cuts, I think, have <coughs> stopped the Liberals being able to do their usual campaigns. Labor, dead. Labor wants to take your money. Mm. You know, like mm. that. Yeah. those campaigns are going to be a bit less now because I feel like they don't have the real grounds to kind of act on it. So I'm really curious, just to add, I'm really curious to see what the Liberal Party is going to campaign on. You know, because Mm. I think they've had Mm. a consecutive number of faults that the Labor Party and the Greens probably in conjunction have been able to absolutely knock them down. So I'm really, really curious to see what the ads are if it's not going to be about debt and tax. You know, those are their usual. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's always Mm. the fear campaigns that really get them in Um, and and keep them in, that is. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Flashback to 2019. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, it will be very, very interesting to see, um, as to what happens, but Mm. if Albanese by some disaster manages to, um, not succeed in winning the election, Mm. then goodness me, we have a long, Labor has a long-term problem. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. mm, I would completely agree with that. Yeah. I think you know, we have some things that we probably have to kind of get better at as a party on a national level because I'm thinking, Mm. you know, if we utilise social media, if we got MPs to do more live streams and actually engage with the community a bit more, I think Mm. if we kind of strengthened our community stronghold and we did our best to kind of reach out and get as many people inspired by the vision that we all stand for, I feel like we would have a better job, you know. And obviously there's a difference. The Liberal Party have a lot more money than we do. It's a simple it's a simple fact. They have a lot more corporate friends. Mm, yeah. But you know what I mean? I think we would do a better job sometimes at elections and just general campaigning if we got more people into Young Labor, if we 
just did a better, better job working with social media and like reaching out to the community. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing mm. I feel like would make us. Well, we are the largest party now by membership and we have been for, for a few months now. So um, mm. uh, I guess that could really um, help. And oh, yeah. funnily enough, the Liberal Party membership has actually declined. So um, mm. there you go. Yeah, that's um, good. Yeah. Mm, I'm very conscious about the time, oh, so yeah. I think just I think we'll move on to the next area, which was the future after COVID. Yeah, that'd be so good to talk about. Yeah, that's an awesome one. Absolutely. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, you can go for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you want to start on this one, and I'll follow through. But sure. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Um, so. Um, even before COVID, Albanese as opposition leader um, announced, mm. uh, well, I, I was actually going through the records um, a couple of months ago and just, you know, looking through um, what the world was like before COVID <laughs> <laughs> and what and what Albo was committing to. But um, yeah. he did commit to fast rail between the um, the capital cities. So mm. um, yeah. that was definitely something. And I think that could be something if he still is committed to that. That could be something that he could really champion. Yeah, um, absolutely. Especially after COVID, yeah. And yeah. Um, the rewiring the nation fund. That's oh, a, that is, yeah. Mm, I think, yeah. yeah, and I think the future after COVID, I just think um, there's been a real upswing, I think, with a lot of people probably in lockdown. They've had a lot of time to probably think. <laughs> um, and mm. I think there's been a huge upswing, obviously, in the renewable energy um, policy that Labor's introducing. I think that is just the most spot-on kind of thing that we need right now to kind of, in Labor Labor's words, you know, build back better to try mm. and... Be- is that the rewiring the nation policy? I feel like it might be. Um, no, I think it's build back Indian. stronger. Build back stronger. Yeah, I think it's build back yeah, stronger. But yeah, but the renewable energy stuff I think is just so, so interesting because I just think if we start making those transitions from the coal industry and we get them into renewable energy, we make those job transitions and we start building this whole new industry, that's it's going to sustain our economy for the future. You know, mm, I think as we transition away from coal, especially, you know, when we are obviously in a feud with China, our industries are dropping. I think if we really, it's going to be exciting if Labor gets in to see the investment in renewable energy and see where we can go with that. Because mm. we have a lot of resources. We really, we could be a world leader. You know, I think that would be great for us. Absolutely. Mm. And um, one of the uh, key uh, things Mr Albanese noted um, in his budget and reply speech, I believe it was last year. Oh, no, this year, sorry. Yeah, it was this year. Um, was for Australia to become a renewable energy superpower. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it will be very interesting to see what happens in that uh, circumstance if Labor is elected at the uh, next election. Mm. But um, also briefly on um, childcare. Um, yeah. That, this is something that I personally am very passionate about Mm. um and that's early childhood education and um you know just to make it cheaper and basically universal at this point because um it's a 90 percent oh from the the numbers i've seen on the lp website Mm. but uh yeah it's a 90 percent um subsidy rate so that is how much of your costs will be covered under you know labor's plan Mm. Yeah, and there's also a lot of research around early childhood education and, yeah. um, you know, giving kids that head start in life and by prep, they're 11 months ahead of their non-childcare yeah. peers. 
Mm, and mm. that really is is great. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, mm. Yeah, I think that's a really good policy. And I think the Liberal Party kind of, in their budget speech, tried to portray tried to kind of pass off the fact that they were doing something very similar to Labor and trying to say, oh, yeah, yes. we're going to, like, subsidise your childcare. And obviously, you know, when... Obviously, you look below the headline and you read the subtext and you actually scrutinise the policy ex- itself. You see that it literally does nothing for anyone. It brings nothing new to the table or no yeah. benefits at all. And, yeah, I think Labor was really one-upping the Liberals on that one. I think that's a really important policy, especially for economic growth. But you're also talking about income that's inequality, right. um, you know, advancing women's rights. Women are going to have yes. way more opportunities mm. to get out in the workforce and, you know, participate at the same rate that I guess their male ca- counterparts can. I think overall mm. you can't even fault that. It's an a- absolutely fabulous idea. Yeah, it's such a yeah. good policy. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, Albanese... Uh, put it really well uh, in that same budget in reply speech. Um, mm. He said that um, if you do half a flip, you'll fall flat on your face. <laughs> so, um, and, and it kind of summarises the coalition's policy on, oh, on yeah. uh, early childhood education. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's Absolutely. just part of what Labor committed to. It's mm. not even the whole thing. So. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. And I think Labor has always kind of had its roots since the inception of the party in, um, you know, just a general level of empathy and actually trying to advance the rights of women, obviously. You know, I think the Liberal Party have tried to say that, you know, they are the party of the worker, they are the party for women. And I think absolutely not. You know, the way they've demonstrated themselves um, in the past, you know, obviously in the, under the Morrison government, I think that solidifies that. And I think you can tell on Labor's policies that there's a level of just of genuine care as opposed to Liberal Party policies where they're trying to pass off like they're doing something good for the community when in fact they really aren't. I think mm. yeah, there's a difference in that policy that's like an actual, there's a genuine level of care there, you know. <laughs> I yeah. don't know if that's mm. the yeah, right yeah. way to put it, but I just feel like there is a genuine level there. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh but yeah, well, with the Liberals, they're, they're always, uh, let's be honest, they're always fantastic with the marketing. Oh, yeah. Um, they're, you know, they're great at the marketing. They're, they're great at, you know, formulating three-word slogans and, mm. you know, um, winning elections off of that. So, yeah. I think of Tony Abbott, like, um, big new tax, <laughs> stop the boats. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Um, horrifying, mm. horrifying. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah that, but... I guess that's another interesting point. Is this will really be a test of liberal marketing skills? Can they turn every single public policy failure into something positive and say it's Labor's fault? You know, yeah. <laughs> huge challenge. <laughs> oh, huge challenge. that will be very interesting to watch. Yeah. That all will the, be very. All the progressives across the country will be sitting at their TV, absolutely laughing because it'll just be oh. so funny. <laughs> absolutely, let's just um, look back at 2019. The oh, bill yeah. you can't afford. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, absolutely! I remember watching those and just being like, "What?" Like Bill yeah. Shorten had the most amazing policies, you know, and That's people right. just looked at him at face value and were like, "Oh, I don't like the way he looks." And I'm like, mm, shame. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. not good. Um, mm. But with regards to th- to uh, the 2019 election, um, mm. and Labor's, and you know, they acknowledged this. There was just too much policy. Oh yeah. Um, 
It was great that they were doing, like, putting forward all that policy so they could possibly get a mandate, mm. but they were expecting to win. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It, it did, yeah. You know, a policy yeah. every single day, it, it's open to smear from oh, yeah. Morrison. And he did that. Yeah, he campaigned he very that. quickly off that. I think, yeah, obviously you're so right. When you're introducing so much, you're opening up all this room for opposition to basically just jump in and pick apart everything and you're almost tripling the amount of smear campaigns you're going to get. And, yeah, Yeah. I think our success hopefully should come from campaigning on a few key things, which, you know, is renewable energy, you know, combating inequality. And, yeah, I guess looking after people and building back better after COVID, I guess that's what we're Mm. really going to be focusing on. So, yeah, fingers crossed we learn from that. (laughs) Yeah, well, um, again, the election um, shouldn't be uh, too far away. In fact, I've started seeing... um, AUC ads coming up on my um on oh, my feeds, you know, awesome. asking people to yeah to start applying. Um, yeah, that's great. It's so good that mm, things are in full swing. They're yeah. getting ready. They're definitely mm. getting ready. Yeah. Um, mm, I think we're going to have yeah. the unions probably again as another backing force. I think that'll be really oh absolutely. Yeah, I think absolutely. because of the things that have happened this year, when you're talking about the mass inequality you've got between kind of people who are part of that gig economy and people Mm. who are casual workers versus people in secure work and how that kind of impacts your chances of even getting COVID, I think, and just the income, the income disparity. I think the unions are going to have quite a lot to campaign on from that and are going to be a huge backing force yet again for the Labor Party. So, yeah, yeah, that Mm. should be a huge influence in the outcome of the election, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But, um, I hope this meeting uh, gets extended because last time that happened to me, sorry to jump in, but... I was I on a meeting that. and it just got randomly upgraded. So I'm, I'm really hoping that that happens because I, I still ah. feel like, I feel like I'm really enjoying this discussion. I don't have anyone to talk about <laughs> politics with. <laughs> mm, yeah, no, no, that's fair. That's, that's fair. Um, absolutely. Yeah, we, I guess we can uh, start another call if it doesn't get upgraded. But yeah, we'll just yeah, keep going. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but with regards to, uh, back to the Liberals, um, mm, as yeah. you said earlier, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of just interested as to what they will be releasing with regards to the ads. Because mm. if you think about it, like, what do they, what are they going to campaign on? Like, that's yeah. what I'm trying to think of. And yeah. what are they going to smear from Labor? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking, yeah, Labor hasn't really had any, like, kind of objectable policy failure I'm thinking Mm. that they can I have a feeling if it's not going to be on a policy basis it's going to be Albanese is not ready to be prime minister yeah they're going to go on that and they're going to be like he's not charismatic enough like (laughs) that's the that's the only way they can kind of bring Labour Mm. down as being like Anthony Albanese is not right for the job that's right Mm. or something along the lines of um this guy thinks that uh, you, you only need to do two jobs yeah. <laughs> to be prime minister. He's not fit for the job or whatever. Like you know, yeah, just um, something absolutely stupid. I'll put it out there. It's going to mm. be something absolutely stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but I think Australians will see through that. Mm, um, I, yeah, I don't. I really think so. Yeah, mm. especially when it comes to you know that sort of stuff. The only the the reason why we lost the last election, um, yeah, again, it was just because of the sheer amount of policy. But yeah. if you're going to have um, if you're going to have a situation like Albanese is in now, mm. where there's not as much policy, all of the, like most, 
all of them, basically, all of them, um, there's, uh, there's nothing really bad about them for the average Australian. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you mm. have, I think if you have the greens being okay with a lot of them, then that usually means that they're, you know, tolerated, I guess. You know, yeah, I, yeah you're right. They're obviously not wild policies. Like, I think you know, the biggest lesson, almost another big lesson from the 2019 election was negative gearing, obviously. I think that, oh, absolutely. that and well, that was a huge driving force because that was able to kind of, the Liberals were able to springboard off that and be like, oh, you know, um, we want to take away, the Labor Party wants to take away your money because that's obviously, mm. taking away negative gearing is like negatively affecting rich white old men who own a lot of houses. <laughs> So yeah. I think they kind of, what we learnt was we kind of have to just leave negative gearing for now and, yeah, just focus mm-hmm. on a few a few key things. But, yeah, I just think it's going to be, yeah, I can't even imagine this election. It's just going to be wild. Mm. It's going to be It crazy. really is. Yeah. It, absolutely. Um, mm. uh, but with regards to housing, housing affordability, just going, mm. again, yeah. briefly going into that area, <laughs> um, Albanese did announce... Um, I believe it was early this year or late last year, um, a plan to build, what was it? I think it was 25,000 social homes all around Australia. Yeah. yeah. Um, And a quarter of that being reserved to uh, women fleeing domestic violence. And I think that is absolutely important. Like that is... Of course. mm. Yeah, I think there needs to be a societal shift on the emphasis of social housing because I think a lot of people underestimate how much, you know, housing links to socioeconomic status and how socioeconomic status feeds into every aspect of someone's life, like your chance of escaping entrenched poverty, your education outcomes, Mm. your health, even in that regard, you know, um, the social determinants of how you're going to basically, all your life outcomes virtually. And I think that's Mm. something that's really important. And I'm really glad that he did set aside that for women fleeing situations of domestic violence. I think in conjunction with other policy, I think that will work really well to kind of um, protect as many people as possible. And I feel like he also set aside a portion for First Nations communities and Indigenous people, I'm pretty sure. And I think that is Mm. a really good thing because I think with the amount of devastation, obviously I'm sure you've heard about the stuff in Will Kenya and... how Mm. hard Indigenous communities have been hit by COVID and just the sheer disadvantage, the fact that people have been having to sleep outside to self-isolate, you know, just the, yeah, just the sheer disadvantage. I think bringing back affordable, high-quality, safe housing is just something that is so important, you know. I think that is the base... Social housing is the basis for every other policy to really work in full function. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, just having that roof over your head, Mm. um, it does give you the opportunity to get a job eventually, Mm. you know, uh, contribute to your local, um, your local uh, community. Um, Mm. yeah, it is, it is very important. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not, I suppose if you're in a low income situation, um, your financial mobility is generally heightened because you're not really having to worry about paying rent and trying to make sure that you can, Mm. you're not defaulting on payments for a house, you know, especially if you work in insecure work, you know, you're on a casual kind of gig economy, living paycheck to paycheck situation. I guess getting some social housing and some public housing in is, is really important, you know, to kind of make sure that people can 
get out of these kinds of situations and hopefully have a better life. So yeah, it was just a spot on policy. It's exactly what we need in a post-COVID world, I'd say. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Um, especially with regards to the high amounts of debts, we do need something out of that debt, mm. you know, something to come out of that debt, not having all this debt. Yeah. Which, you know, went to big corporations turning a profit. And I think that would lead us into another conversation <laughs> around JobKeeper. Yes, absolutely. Oh, goodness. I know we could sit here all day and just ramble. I'm we like, really could. <laughs> we really could. I know. This is, we need to do this more often. I'm sorry, but this is just such a good conversation. Um, but <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're completely right. I think the social housing as a way of kind of getting out of, you know, the trillion dollar Liberal Party debt. Um, mm. Yeah. Oh, my God. I could do a whole episode on how much I hated that budget. Oh, <laughs> But, um, yeah, that's such oh, a good wow. way, yeah, to get out of the debt, I guess, and kind of building like a, yeah, I suppose just it's a platform that's going to be something that can generate a bit of income to kind of contribute to kind of shifting the externalities of that debt and what that's going to have on the country. So, see, this is the brilliance of labour policies. It's like economic benefit, social benefit, beautiful combination, you mm. know? Mm. Yeah. The Liberal Party's more mm. economic benefit but for certain people, social benefit, absolutely not. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so, yeah, um, mm. yeah, it just, yeah, I, I just... It's speechless. It really speechless. It, it really leaves me speechless. It really leaves me speechless how the, um, the party of um, Menzies has become what it is today, you know, oh. talking about the forgotten Australian. Mm, yes. Now it's more about, you know... Mm, yeah. <laughs> And that's what Scott um, Morrison used, I feel like, when he became Prime Minister, like, I'm pretty sure it was in 2019 when he was saying the quiet Australians. Yes, know, it yes. It was the people, mm. you know, the people who had been left behind and who were silent and don't have a political voice now have chosen, you know, this leader. But, yeah, I would... It's so interesting. You could seriously talk about the Liberal Party composition and how it's shifting because there's so much debate. A lot of people are like, oh, it's shifting more to the centre. But I, I actually think it's shifting more to the right, if I'm being honest. I would say mm. it's more, you know, it's getting a bit more right-wing, you know. I think with the rise of Western individualism you're talking about, I just think there are so many people that are kind of just like right-wing Liberal Party people. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. And, um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it just... The Liberal Party just, um, yeah, I... Mm. Leaves me speechless. Really <laughs> leaves me speechless. Um, <laughs> yeah. Lost for yeah. words. <laughs> yeah, lost for words. That's seriously how yeah. I feel about politics right now. People have asked, like, people will DM me on the modern democracy and they'll text me and they'll be like, what do you think of this? And I'm just like, the words I send back, I just can't even. Like, <laughs> can't even right now. Can't even. Mm. It's just, I am at a loss for words a lot of the time because I just think, you know, it's gotten to the point now where I feel like, people who are voting for the Liberal Party either have not been paying attention to the news or seriously lack a moral compass because I think it extends beyond the point now that you believe it's better for the economy as to whether mm, or not you right. genuinely believe some people ha should have the same rights as others. If you mm, genuinely yeah. believe that, you know, corporations should be able to pay their fair share and should, you know, work, I suppose, not be, not manipulate the system and, you know, just all these different things that centre around human rights, I feel like, 
voting for the Liberal Party is so... It's just like a vote against human rights almost in many respects. Yeah. Mm. I wouldn't yeah, not um, extremist human rights, with, but, you know, along the lines mm. of that. Mm. Especially with the, um, the, the um, really good um, campaign strategies, um, mm. you do have people voting against their own interests. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was just talking about that the other day with um, a few people about the Liberal Party kind of in that John Howard era where I would have kind of flipped the fact that they were a, they're a party that has, you know, since its inception has supported upper middle class white people, particularly white men, um, mm. to catering to the aspirational, to the worker who doesn't want to be known as working class, to the people who want more for themselves, you know, to the people yeah. who kind of blue collar workers but yeah are looking for more in a general sense and i think that that was a clever marketing thing because there are so many working class people who i know who who vote liberal you know and you really have to Mm. take a step back and be like the liberal party number one do not care about you at all number two have no policy that works in your interest you know but you've been fed this kind of marketing you know I wouldn't say lie, but I would say kind of something that has been spun into something that it's kind of, Mm. you know, it's just not true. You know, the Liberal Party do not support workers. I think you can have a look at their track record. Work choices, work choices 2.0, not working class. (laughs) Not in the interest of workers, yeah. Mm. Um, mm, Yeah, absolutely. No, I absolutely agree. Um, Yeah, uh, the, the Liberals are just so good at marketing. And um, the only times in which, uh, well, this is in the 2000s, mm. um, which Labor did win from opposition was mm. with, uh, when Labor had good um, marketing. And that was in 2007 with, you know, Kevin 07 and yeah. um, all of the ads that were running about getting the balance right between business and workers, you yeah, know. Um, that was really bang on, you know. Yeah, on. no, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so it, mm. it, uh, again, tying back into uh, this uh, this election that's coming up um, yeah. in a few months, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, I wanted to ask you before we wrap up. Um, you're from Victoria, right? Am yes, that's right. Yeah. Are you happy with how your state has managed COVID? Because this is a question that I generally want to ask people. Yeah, are you mm. kind of happy with the leadership? Um, well, I think it does tie into uh, a lot of other areas like mm, yeah of course. You not a simple it. answer yeah yeah of course of course yeah um with regards to last year i think mm. we definitely um did the right thing especially with the vaccines not being available mm. and the long lockdown did hurt a lot of businesses absolutely and it hurts a lot of people absolutely yeah. mm. but it was the right thing to do um for that time um, and I, mm. in short, sharp lockdowns have worked ever since. Mm. Um, with regards to getting uh, down to zero COVID. Mm. Now, with regards to right now, considering what's happening right now, and now um, I'm just um, on ABC News and uh, the Premier here has announced a roadmap out of um, lockdown just earlier today. Um, and mm. we're speaking to you on the 19th of September yeah. <laughs> Sunday night of September, yes. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so um, 
I think we have been forced into a really difficult position when New South Wales mm. didn't lock down early and quickly enough. Yeah. And we've been forced to um, follow the same strategy as what they're following now, and mm. that is with, um, you know, vaccinating our way out of lockdown. Yeah. And with regards to our current situation, I think that is the only way you could possibly do it now. Yeah, Especially of course. with the, yeah, the situation. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, well, I'm from New South Wales, so uh, I'm mm. obviously not in a very good situation right now. But <laughs> I will say Victoria has had it quite a bit like worse than we have, really, because I feel like you guys have been through way more lockdowns that are probably harsher. Quite but yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I guess the one that we're kind of going through now is it's funny. It's kind of funny. I don't want to be mean, but it, it is funny because for so long, you know, it was Gladys Gold standard, you know. It was yes. what Scott Morrison had deemed that Gladys Berejiklian, her behaviour in resisting lockdowns and taking the relatively, you know, l- like lenient public health measures somehow had worked for us in the past. And, you know, I was happy with how she had handled it last year to a, to a mm. pretty strong extent. But I think now I think it's a hubris thing. You know, I think she had built up this kind of reputation of being Gladys Gold Standard. And obviously mm. when we had we had a few outbreaks at Bondi, And people were like, okay, this is a new variant. It's 225% more contagious. Um, Lockdown, please lock down. And she was like, no, we're going to resist it. You know, we're not going to lock down. And before you know it, we're in the point now we're exceeding 1,000 cases a day. You know, there have been times Mm -hmm. where it's been almost 2,000. And, you know, the amount of people that are in the ICU, the amount of people that have died, the amount of businesses that have been shut down, I just think, you know, her her behaviour has not acted acted in the best interest of the Australian people, the New South Wales, people from New South Wales. I just think mm. it's it's just been bad behaviour. And I think if she had, you know, followed the snap lockdown model, we would be in a much better situation that we are in now. And the problem with this lockdown is the just the amount of disparity. It's hitting those low-income communities so much more than communities that generally um, you do possess high income per capita and just on an average level. Yeah like mm. southwestern Sydney and western Sydney, you know, the, the amount of police that are there compared to the amount of police that are in those really, like, kind of high, um, you know, upper-class areas, it's a huge mm. disparity. And you can tell that it's hitting those some communities more than others and it's going to produce some long-term inequalities that are probably going to take years to repair. And I think, yeah, all of these failures do really um, kind of shed a light on the poor executive decisions of the Premier. And, you know, I obviously think a lot of it is her. But that being said, all these COVID failures have a drawback to one person, and that's Scott Morrison, you know? Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Everything just has a drawback to the fact that we don't have vaccines and we don't have national quarantine. Mm. So I blame her, but I also blame Scott Morrison more. (laughs) Mm, you yeah. know, like, yeah, I just think if we, obviously if we had locked down, locked down at a quicker rate when the Delta variant cropped up, um, you know, despite the lament and the resistance of the Premier to do so, trying to keep mm. her reputation up, I think we would be in a situation better than, obviously a lot better than now. But I also think if we had, you know, maybe contacted Pfizer when they contacted Greg Hunt, um, we would be in a better situation now <laughs> if we followed yeah. the constitution and built national quarantine, you know, be in a very different situation. Yeah. But 100%. Overall, I can say I'm not too happy with the leadership. I know people are like, oh, she's trying her best. I'm like, 
Her best is, is not she? Good yeah, is she? <laughs> the best is not cutting it. The best is not cutting it. Yeah. Mm. The death of Gladys Gold Standard is no longer. <laughs> well, um, with regards to um, the vaccination, um, mm. those uh, western suburbs in Sydney, um, from what I've read, mm. um, are of higher. Uh, when it comes to vaccine hesitancy. Yeah. Um, and I think if anything from this mess, if yeah. if anything good came out of this, it is vaccination. Um, and I think what we've seen, and I, I can definitely speak from experience, I, I had an auntie who uh, was taken to ICU, was on a ventilator with oh, COVID. Wow. I'm so sorry um, that. that's terrible. Oh, no. Oh, she, mm. She's much better now. But, well, that's um, good to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it definitely encouraged the rest of the family to get the vaccine, and they're all booked mm. in this week, um, which is which is great. Yeah, that's, um, that's so good. Yeah, yeah, and they were they were pretty pretty vaccine hesitant. Um, mm. But but it really is great that we have those higher rates of vaccination. Yeah. Uh, that is the only way forward, um, mm. and yeah, the only way we can go back to some form of normal hopefully next year yeah absolutely and I think you know I don't well I do it's a hard thing to say because I certainly don't blame people individually for vaccine hesitancy I definitely oh, would, would mm. say that it's just been that again Morrison government failure <laughs> of um mm. just running a really bad kind of public health campaign on vaccines you know. Well, there was barely one anyway. Yeah, it was just, yeah, it was absolutely terrible. And then I think the way that, you know, I think the way they handled some of the things related to AstraZeneca, I think, gave people a lot of fear when, in mm. fact, you know, there is probably a four in one million chance that anything bad would ever happen to you if you had AstraZeneca. Mm. Um, but I think, yeah, it's kind of been that problem where, yeah, the public health campaign or the lack of it has not met where it needs to it doesn't really meet the standards of what we need right now and I think yeah that lack has really caused a bit of vaccine hesitancy and then that manifests itself into this whole anti-vax movement that's causing quite a bit of political divide I would say mm. yeah and it's in it's endangering people's lives obviously but um yeah I think that's I think it's important that once people kind of, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, obviously, but to have a connection to someone who obviously has suffered with COVID, it would really inspire you to get out there and get vaccinated, do what you can to kind of pr protect yourself, you know, and your family and your friends. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's great. Um, well, it was great speaking to you, Phoebe. Yeah, it was um, so good to speak to you too. This was so much fun. It was awesome. This was wonderful. Yeah, I uh, know. This is so It would be great to do something like this again when the yeah. election um, draws closer, when it's called at least, yeah. at least when we know <laughs> when it's going to happen. Um, oh, yes, I know. I'm just waiting. I'm so excited. I just yeah. for it to happen. Me too. Me yeah. too. I really am just waiting, looking at the polls on a daily basis at yeah. this point. Um <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Mm. But, yeah, yeah. Um, it was great coming on. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Seriously, you know, it meant so much to me. I think my viewers are really going to – anyone listening, I, I, I think they're just going to really benefit from, you know, having, like, a conversational thing because often it's just me sitting on a microphone talking about things. So I think mm. it's, it's great for people to kind of learn a little bit, I guess, about – 
in a conversational way, you know, just kind of having a chill discussion about politics, kind of making it interesting. So, mm. yeah, no, absolutely, super, yeah. super good. So thank you so much for, yeah, agreeing to come on and doing this. It has been so, so good. Um, yeah, and hopefully you can come back on the podcast pretty soon. Of course, absolutely. Absolutely.